0: special prayer time tonight for our VBS, so we'll be praying through a lot of things for that, and uh, be praying for that start next week, and uh, so we'll get to that a little bit later on, but let's pray first, and then we'll get started in Acts chapter 24, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we do come before you, God, we just thank you for your word, thank you for your spirit, God, I do pray, as we come to hear your word, that we will just uh, focus on it. You'll speak to our hearts through it, Lord. You'll change our hearts through it. And when we leave this place, God, we'll be encouraged by your word and by the gospel and by uh, knowing that you are in control of all things, Lord, even when we face opposition, that you are working for us, Lord, and that you're working for our good and for your glory, God. And I pray that we will just uh, leave that pla- leave this place knowing that, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so we have returned to the book of Acts, if you can believe that. and. Uh, Excited about the book of Acts, closing it out here, and uh, so just to bring us up to date, so to speak, of where we are in the book of Acts, uh, as you know, we started at the very at the very beginning of Acts chapter 1, and uh, we kind of set the scene by Acts chapter 1, verse 8, uh, where the power of the Holy Spirit comes, and uh, it tells, uh, actually, through this uh promise of Acts uh, chapter 1 verse 8, uh, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So literally, this has been the, the chronological order, so to speak, of the gospel through the book of Acts. And so we started off by seeing the, in, in, in Jerusalem, the witness that was happening in Jerusalem. Then we saw it through Judea, then Samaria, and then we see Paul taking this to the ends of the earth. And we know uh, Paul as uh, the first several 14 or 15 chapters were dominated by Peter. The last chapters have been dominated by Paul, which is the apostle born out of due time. He was the apostle to the Gentiles. And if we remember our uh, how we explained this before was Jerusalem was the actual heritage or where the Jewish people were. And the gospel went forward from there. And then it included what they would consider to be Gentiles. And when you hear the word Gentiles in the Bible or you hear someone say talking about a Gentile or a Greek, what their meaning is outside of the covenant or outside of the physical Uh, connection with the nation of Israel. So we know through the gospel that now there is neither male nor female or Jew nor Greek. So we know through the gospel that has all changed, but we literally saw that played out here through the book of Acts. And so we have seen some amazing things in the book of Acts. We've seen some crazy things in the book of Acts, right? We've seen miracles and we've seen uh, just all sorts of the power of God. Uh, But Paul, as we know, the greatest missionary uh, ever known to man, and obviously a great, great missionary, um, and it dominates acts here. Uh, We see him planting churches. We see him pushed out of cities, but he never gives up on mission. What I love about Paul is you never see him off mission. He is always focused on God's call in his life, and to me, that's a challenge for me in my life. I, I hope when I am done with my life, I would be able to say, I stayed on mission. I stayed focused. Because it is so easy to lose focus and to lose our mission sometimes, right? And you know what? Sometimes it's not even bad things. It's even good things that might come along that get you out of the fo- off your focus or off of your calling of sharing the gospel. And uh, you get down all these different rab- rabbit trails and holes. And next thing you know, you lose your true calling. But Paul never did. Paul wanted the gospel to go to all people. He was following the Lord. Uh, he would went on two missionary journeys, and third one uh, as well, which is kind of like his prison missionary journey. Uh, but we knew, uh, we know that through Paul, wanted and desired to get back to Jerusalem. And so through the series of events that we studied, he ended up back in Jerusalem. But as he was warned, and others warned him as well, there would be severe persecution, he would be entrapped, he would be imprisoned. And, uh, and we know that process happened, uh, but through that, he wanted to make it to Rome, and so out of this imprisonment, he is uh, beginning this journey to be moved, and so he uh, was plotted against, and he was going to be killed. Uh, he was going to be killed in chapters 22 and 23, but he pulled his Greek card, so to speak, right? He said, I am a Roman citizen, and I have rights And a lot of times it's hard to understand uh, the way the system worked back there or the government worked back then. Uh, There were cities and rules and different things for the Jewish people. uh, But they were under Roman rule, but they allowed them to function and do certain things in amongst themselves. But there were other things they could not do. And so, uh, just like the trial of Jesus, why they took him to Pontius Pilate and why they took him to the others to try to get him condemned, because they could not execute him. And so, uh, same with Paul. They're kind of shopping him around to find someone to give him the death sentence. And so, uh, Paul was almost happened uh, in front of Felix, but he, I mean, not Felix, we're going to get to Felix, but he was, he was before the Sanhedrin, he was before uh, this group that was going to do this to him, but then uh, he cried out uh, for the Greek card, and he got shipped off, uh, someone literally came and saved his life for him, and through this commander um, brought him to Felix, and that's where we pick up in chapter 24. He has been, uh, he's on trial uh, for Uh, sedition. He's on trial for uh, all these other things that he has done, and uh, the, the Jewish people wanted him executed. He travels away from them, and it opens up in chapter 24, and guess who shows up? Look at verse 1. Now, after five days, Ananias, the high priest, came down with the elders and certain orator named Tertullus. These gave evidence to the governor against Paul. So he tried to get away, but trouble followed him, right? They, they were on his trail. And so Ananias wasn't at the original um, condemnation, but yet here he shows up uh, to this one uh, to go before this one. And he brought Tertullus with him. Tertullus would have been like a DA or district attorney. He would have been a, a, prosec- a prosecuting attorney where he, would, uh, he was going to bring the charges to Paul. More than likely... Had a lot of political connections and a lot of insider connections with Felix and with some of these other uh, courts that he was going to be going against. And so they brought him in to be like a headhunter, to be able to seal the deal, to finally get rid of this Paul. And so Tertullus is going to plead his case, kind of like uh, watching a courtroom scene. You know, He's going he's to give it all to him and tell him all the things that Paul had done wrong. And so verse 2 says, when he was called upon, Tertullus uh, began his accusation, saying, I don't know about you, when you read that, I think of the devil, right? The devil is the great accuser of the brethren, right? If you uh, have someone accusing another brother or sister in Christ, many times it's Satan behind it, right? So Tertullus is accusing, he brings this accusation. So he's setting the scene, he's bringing his case against Paul seeing that through seeing that through you uh, see, seeing that through you we enjoy great peace and prosperity is being brought to this nation by your foresight we accept it always and in all places most noble felix with all thankfulness we had a gro- uh, there is a greek word for that that's not found in here but it definitely uh, comes out to meaning brown noser, that's what that means, all right, kiss up, right, he's, uh, he's really kissing up to this Felix, like, you are so wonderful and great, I mean, look at the theatrics of it, right, you are, you, we are uh, extremely, uh, for, you know, for, because of your great foresight and understanding and this great prosperity and peace, he's buttering them up, right, he's literally, he's pouring it on thick, and in verse 4, nevertheless, Uh, Not to be tedious to you any further, I beg you to hear by your courtesy a few words from us. So there's where the inside connection comes. He's what you would call pulling a few strings, right? He's like, I know you, you know me, I've scratched your back before, you're going to scratch mine, and these Jewish people are going to deliver a lot of money to me to be able to steal the deal, to present this case, to have Paul put to the end. So he says, I'm begging you, hear my words, hear these charges before, uh, before you. So verse 5, for we have found this man a plague, a creator of dissension among all the Jews throughout the world and ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. Now, I don't know about you, when you think about Paul, I don't think of a ringleader or a plague, right, or uh, co- creator of dissension and so they these were the charges he was building up on paul going into these uh temples and and going into the synagogues and sharing about christ and the way and about the gospel of jesus christ and so paul is being attacked by not something bad he did but by something good he did so this is not this is not something that he has fallen into and he is being punished by God, this is something that is persecution from the devil. This is opposition. For him doing the right thing, and they take it and turn it all the way around and turn it into a bad thing. And you know, the world is good at doing that, are they not? I mean, the world is good at taking something good and turning it into something bad. And especially when it comes to the things of Christ, and especially in our culture today, we run into a lot of this. We run into a lot of this because what happens is if you take any sort of biblical stance or you take any sort of, uh, you know, biblical stance or stand upon truth, you're immediately considered intolerant or, you know, you're considered, uh, you know, all these other things they can come up with. And they try to, uh, you know, push you into a corner or they flip it on you and say, you're the one with the problem. You're the one who has the issues. And that's what they did to Paul. You are a plague. You are, uh, you know, this sedition or you you started all this dissension. And he's just kind of building the scene. And he found him as a plague. I find that one interesting as well. And then verse 6. He even tried to profane the temple. And we seized him and wanted to judge him according to our law. But the commander, Lysias, came by and with great violence took him out of our hands. And this is where Paul had the ear of the, of the soldier, told him he was a Greek citizen or a Roman citizen. And the commander came and took them out of his hands and said, this is not your issue. Paul has rights in front of a Roman court. And so they seized him out of his hands and then commanding his accusers to come to you. By examining him, this is verse 8, by examining him yourself, you may ascertain all these things of which we accuse him. And and the Jews also asserted, uh, assented, maintaining that these things were so. So uh, here they were, and all these things were going on. he's saying, you're going to come to the same conclusion uh, that we came to and the Jewish people came to that this man is a, is, is a dissenter. He is causing trouble. He's causing trouble for the Jewish people. He's ca- causing trouble for the Romans. And one thing about the Roman uh, soldiers and one thing about the Roman government, they didn't like any trouble. They didn't want any dust up or any stir, uh, anything stirred up. They wanted it to be as quiet, as peaceable as possible so they can do their thing and they can just rule in peace or rule with authority. And any type of opposition or pushback, they were very harsh against it. They were, they were, they were quickly to lower the ha- or drop the hammer on those who would rise up or cause issues. And so this Tertullus is really setting the scene. Paul is a terrible guy. He is lying in the temple. He has defamed the temple. He has, he has come before and he's, he's plagued and he's causing all these troubles and he's causing all these trials. And he says he's, re, he's a real problem, not only for us, but for you too. And he's trying to unite them with, with the Jewish people who wanted to kill Paul. So then, uh, then Paul, look at verse 10, here's, his, uh, here's Paul's defense. And Paul um, gets to his defense here, and he is uh, let me flip over this here. Then Paul, after the governor had, governor had nodded to him to speak, answered. So Paul's turn to, uh, to rebut uh, this accusation. So this is Paul's response. Insomuch as I know that you have been for many years a judge of this nation. I do the more cheerfully answer for myself. But Paul didn't have an advocate on earth, but he had advocate where? In heaven, right? He knew that. And he said, I'm glad to answer for myself. I will be more than cheerfully or more than glad to give my defense. Verse 11, because you may ascertain that it is no more than 12 days since I went up to Jerusalem to worship. And they neither found me in the temple disputing with anyone nor inciting the crowd either in the synagogues or in the city. So he says I went up and I had peacefully had worshiped and there was no problem. And you can find that out through investigation. You can find that out through witnesses and testimony. Uh, They didn't find me in the temple. They did not find me disputing. They did not find me doing any of these things. Then verse 13. Nor can they prove the things of which now they accused me. But Verse 14, this I confess to you, that according to the way, now we talked a little bit about this before our break, but I love that expression, the way, and it's capitalized, way is capitalized. And uh, when you talk about Jesus being the way, right, it just fits his message, because if you're going to go to heaven, or if you're going to uh, die, and you're going to stand before the Lord, and you're going to enter into heaven, it's going to be through the way, And when Jesus came, he made it very clear. I am the way, right? And I'm the life. And I'm the way, the life, and the truth. And so now Paul is piggybacking on it, saying, this message that I'm sharing, it is Jesus, because he is the way. And they want to call it a, a, a sect, right, or just a division. Verse 14, carrying on, he says, So I worship the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and the prophets. So Paul was saying, I didn't exclude the Old Testament. He's saying, I've I've expanded on it. Like, I've brought it to another level with my teaching because now we see the complete way. In the Old Testament, it was hidden, but now through Christ it has been revealed. That Christ was hidden throughout the old stories, but now through the gospel, he is the exposed way or the known way to heaven. In verse 15, I have hope in God, which they themselves also accept, and there will be a resurrection of the dead, both the just and the unjust. So basically what he's saying is, I have hope in God, just like the Jewish people would have, and they accept that for truth, and they also accept that there will be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust, meaning that every person will stand in judgment before God. And he's saying, I'm not disputing any of that. I am online, on course, just like they have said and they believe. Then verse 16, this being so, I myself always strive to have a conscience without offense toward God and men. So he's saying, I, I strive in my life to have this conscience that does not offend God nor man. So Paul's saying, I'm not looking for trouble. I'm just sharing the way. And I'm using the gospel to do that, but the gospel is rooted in these Jewish beliefs that they have all this belief from the Old Testament, the prophets, and all the law that they had. Christ is in that, and that's the way that I'm teaching. So they should have no, uh, you know, they should have no issues with what I'm teaching. But yet they call it, you know, something that I'm teaching against them. But I'm not. I'm not looking for that. But I also don't want to offend God. And I don't want to offend man as well. So in verse 17, now after many years, I came to bring alms and offering to my nation. And in the midst of which some Jews from Asia found me purified in the temple, neither with a mob nor with tumult. They ought to have been there, been here before you, uh, to, you to object if they had anything against me. Of Paul saying, Where are those who have anything against me? There's no eyewitnesses. This is just sheer allegations. Verse 20, or else let those who are here themselves say, If they found me any wrongdoing in me while I stood before the council, unless it is for this one statement which I cried out standing among them concerning the resurrection of the dead, I am being judged by you this day. So basically, he's pled his case. They have no credible evidence. They are bringing this up. They have no witnesses. They have no uh, people telling me I'm done this. And so he's basically pled his case. And basically, for me, what I get out of this is that Paul uh, has incredible wisdom from the Lord, right? I mean, you think about Paul. Paul stands before sinners. He stands before judges. He stands before rulers. He stands before Jews. He stands before Gentiles. And throughout all of that, one thing you always see about Paul is he has incredible wisdom, and, and he knows what to say, and he knows when to say it. It seems like Paul is connected in a way to the Lord that gives him that wisdom. And, and we know in the Bible, the Bible tells us that if we need wisdom, what do we need to do? Ask of God, right? And so Paul has asked God for this wisdom, and now we see him outlawry, out, 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 out dueling the lawyer, right? Here's this prosecuting attorney that was there to push against him, and Paul responds to him in such a way that it pretty much is an open and shut case, because Paul is saying it is all nothing. They have no real witnesses. They have no real ways. They have no real uh, understanding of what I've done or where I've been, and so here's the ruling from Felix. In verse 22, it says, but when Felix heard these things, having more accurate knowledge of the way, he adjourned the proceedings saying, when Lysias, the commander, comes down, I will make a decision on your case. <sighs> Typical politician, right? <laughs> Basically, he says, I'm not going to deal with it. I'm going to push it to the next guy or wait. So he knew it, he heard it, but he didn't decide to do what to do. He said, I'll wait. And when the Lysias, the commander, comes down, I'll listen to him, then I'll make a decision. He just kick the can down the road, so to speak. Then look at verse 23. So he commanded the centurion to keep Paul and let him have liberty and told him not to forbid any of his friends to provide for or visit him. So basically, he was on house arrest. He had to be in his home under house arrest and he was not forbidden for any one of his friends or anyone to come visit him and they could come and go, but he was in his home and he could not freely leave because he was under house arrest, so to speak. So then verse 24, after some day, some believe that's almost two years, but some point in time he came back and when Felix came with his wife Drusilla, who was Jewish, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. Now what's inter- interesting about this is that Felix came back and he, had, he brought him his wife with him, Drusilla. Now she's interesting If you do some historical background on her, you find out she has a very shady past, right? Um, Drusilla uh, was her uncle, uh, was Herod, uh, well, her grandfather uh, was Herod, the Herod who uh, commanded all the babies to be killed, right? Or was was that Herod the Great that commanded all the babies to be killed up to two years old when they found out Jesus was born? Who was that? was that antipas Antipas, yeah okay herod antipas yes so then also her uncle was the the leader who had john's john the baptist head put on a platter right and then her dad as well uh was one who was against so she comes from a a very rough background right one who would typically not be in favor of christianity but she was Jewish, and so she knew it. And I kind of think that Felix probably thought, you know what, my wife knows this better than I do. And let's see if she can discern between the two, between what Paul is saying. And I personally believe that Felix, in which we will talk about this a little bit later on, he was personally intrigued by this message of the gospel. As something in the gospel uh, rung in his heart to, 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 put a, to put a little stinger in his heart to want to inquire And to know more about this. And so he he brought his wife, who would have known more. And he said, let's go talk to this Paul. Let's bring him down here. And let's hear him concerning the faith in Christ. So verse 25. Now as he reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and answered, Go away for now. When I have a convenient time, I will call for you. So obviously Paul had struck a nerve, right? The gospel... And the truth of God had uh, convicted his heart. And Felix, who was fearful, he answered, instead of saying, here's my heart, Lord, he says, no, go away for now. And I will co- and come back at a more convenient time, I will call for you. And uh, many preachers have talked about this. I remember Dr. Vines preaching a sermon about this as well. And he talks about when is it a convenient time for you to come to Jesus Christ, right? And if you reject Jesus Christ willfully and openly, would you be willing to take the risk of never having that opportunity again? Because Felix took that opportunity and he pushed it away and he declined that opportunity to call on Christ for salvation. And we realize that Felix, as they said, was almost a Christian. But yet it just wasn't a convenient time for him. And we think about the gospel many times we know about its integrity we know it's about its truth but we also uh, understand that there is a you know there there is a there is a time that comes in people's lives that when they are confronted with the gospel and with the truth and they know what to do and they are convicted by that but they choose to deny it they choose to push it off, and that's why in Romans it says today is the day of salvation, right? Like we need to, we need to respond to the things of God when they are, are fresh in our heart, when we're convicted by Him, because we, we're not promised a second conviction or another chance. And just like Pharaoh in the Old Testament, when you read the story about Moses and he was uh, bringing the people of Israel out, that it says that when God had moved on the heart to Pharaoh, that pharaoh hardened his heart then later on you read and pharaoh is saying i'm sorry like i don't want to do this no more and then the bible says this the lord hardened pharaoh's heart so pharaoh hardened his heart towards the lord and then the lord hardened pharaoh's heart after he had rejected the call of the lord and it's so important for us to remember this because so many times in our life when god moves on our heart we're not guaranteed another chance, right? We're not guaranteed another opportunity, and that should bring us to the urgency of the gospel. That when we share the gospel or we tell the gospel, we never know that might be the last opportunity that person could come to know Jesus Christ. And listen, we can't control what Felix does, but Paul certainly knew that his opportunity came, and Paul was faithful to share the gospel. He was urgent with it. He wanted to share it. He had his opportunity, and he shared it. And for me, and for maybe even, like, maybe even you, many times in my life, God will spur my heart to share the gospel with someone, and I fail to do it. And when I walk away from there, I say, I'll catch him next time. Or I'll catch him the next time around, or I'll catch her the next time around. And you know what happens? That next time never comes. I never get that opportunity again to be able to do it, and, I, and I'm convicted because I'm not urgent with the gospel. And you know, if we're going to be true missionaries, if we're going to be true uh, evangel uh, true evangelist or evangelistic in our faith, we got to know how to be urgent with the gospel. We must be tender to the spirit to know when that opportunity is to share Jesus Christ. And for for what we know about Felix, is this going to be the last time that he has heard this? And we find out later on that he does reject it. He doesn't come to know Christ, and this will be the last time he has the opportunity to come to know the Lord. And Paul was faithful. But Felix rejected it. He says, I don't have time for that. I want to push it away. You know, I think that's one of the biggest lies of the devil that he gets most people with about the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, you got plenty of time, right? You got, you got your, you're just a young person. Come to the Lord when you're later in life or when you got all these issues. And, and a lot of times we talk about the thief on the cross. We talk about how, well, I'm going to wait to like, the thief on the cross and right before I die, I'm just going to say, Jesus, saved me, and I get to go to heaven, right? But what I like to remind people, there was two thieves on the cross, right? One repented or, or trusted in Christ and, and went to heaven. The other one still went to hell, right? So which one are you going to be? Uh, and you're not guaranteed one or the other. And whatever God puts on your heart, be urgent with it and, and faithfully follow the Lord. And Felix put him off at a more convenient time. Then... It says this, it says, uh, after he, he comes down and he put him off, and he says, come back at a more convenient time, verse 26, meanwhile, he also hoped that money would be given uh, him by Paul, that he might release him. Therefore, he sent for him more often and conversed with him. So what was it that kept Felix? Not only just a convenient time, but God, money was his God, right? And if you read the story of Jesus when he talks to the rich young ruler, one of the saddest stories in the Bible, right? Because for me, he goes to the rich young ruler and he says, uh, he says what, what must I do to inherit eternal life, right? What must I do? And Jesus tells him, he says, all those things I've done since I was a kid and I've done them all and I've taken care of them. he says, but take and sell all that you have and give it away and then come follow me. And the Bible says that he, the rich young ruler, went away sad. He went away. He gave it all up for, for his possessions. And listen, we can plug and play anything you want right there, but for this guy, it was money. He had hoped that this money would be able to given to him by Paul that he might make a dollar or a dime on it. And therefore, he sent for him more often and conversed with him. So he obviously kept in touch. He talked with him. He conversed with him. But after two years, Portius Festus succeeded Felix and Felix, wanting the Jews a favor, left Paul bound. So he left him bound. He never repented or he never trusted in Christ. He never uh, come to the way of the Lord. And yet he was replaced by Portius Festus. It's a great reminder, too, as well. A lot of times we think we are indispensable in this world, right? But God, for him, is just the moment, Right? If you take eternity and stretch it out on a, on a line and you can see how long uh, eternity is, how long do you think your 70, 80, or 90 years may be compared to that eternity? It's nothing, right? I mean, it is, it is nothing but even a, maybe even a speck on that line. And with God, as time marches on, he has no beginning, he has no end, but we do. And we, ha- we, we sometimes get in the world and we think we're irreplaceable or we think it's always going to be this way, Right? Felix thinks that he's always going to be in power. He's always going to have this opportunity. He's always going to be able to have these things. But we find out, we know it wasn't that way. He was replaced. He was, he was succeeded by these others uh, that came along and pushed him out. And then he, it was too late for him already. And if you think about chapter 24, some of the things that we, we talk about and, and conclude with, uh, thinking about some of these principles here, um, is I think about just the providence of God in Paul's life, right? I mean, here Paul was down in jerusalem he gets arrested he's going to be killed someone comes to his aid brings him out of there brings him before felix he should all likelihood be killed by the, by him but yet he gets a stay he gets put off for two years and then felix rolls off the scene and we're going to find out how god works through all these situations to get paul to a point to where he's back in rome to be able to take the gospel even to the romans as well and all through all this we still know that God has his hand on Paul. And and for us as Christians, sometimes we think, God, what are you doing in our life? Because we can't see him working, but we must always know God is at work, right? God is always at work. And whether you face good or whether you face bad or whether you face kings or princes or paupers, whoever they are, we know that God controls them all. And Paul was at peace with the Lord and he was here. And even in the midst of this, he was still sharing the gospel. He was still sharing of Christ even in this day that he was being falsely accused and on trial for his life and he was still pressing on sharing Jesus Christ with whoever it was. There was no one too big and no one too small that he did not share the gospel with. And then I think about Felix. I think about his life. I think in my life I've met a few Felixes. I've met people who I know they understand the gospel and I know at some point in their life they've been convicted by it and I know they know they should give their life to the Lord but they just don't it's not a convenient time for them right something captures their heart and they don't give their life to Christ and before it's too late they end up getting cancer and they die or something happens in their life life is short I find in my life You know, like I said before, and I've said this so many times, it really is, really is true. Life is like a roll of toilet paper, right? The closer you get to the end, the faster it goes, right? I mean, it really does. It happens so fast. And and it happens so fast, and you just just think one day, you got all the time in the world, and the next day, you realize, man, it, it can happen. For me now, I listen or I see on Facebook and someone talks about someone that's passed away or whatever, and they say they were 47 years old, they're this many years old, and I think, wow, that's, uh, that's hitting pretty close to home. You know what I mean? Like you realize that you never promised tomorrow, you don't know what it is, and yet whatever God puts on your heart or calls you to do, uh, don't lose that for convenience. Don't lose that for something of this world. So I can guarantee you when Felix stands before God, He's not going to be asked about how much money did he get or how, much, how big was his rule or how many people was in his region. He, was gonna be, he will be asked about, what did you do with the message of Jesus Christ? What did you do with the way? And he pushed it off, and yet it's too late. And it was too late for him, and we're going to talk about that in 2 Thessalonians as well coming up soon uh, in chapter 2, talking about when it's too late to call on the name of the Lord when is that time come and for Felix uh, time had come and it had passed then I think about his wife I think about Drusilla all the things she had and all the things that she knew about Jewish people and all the things she heard about the way here and for her to idly stand by and just to be able to look and listen and then go back to how her life was and same same with her but she had so much in her heart that she was so wicked that she didn't even care about the way and yet she still rejected God and rejected the way. And so as we close these things, you know, we have got to be like Paul, urgent with the gospel, ready to share Christ, and whatever situation we find ourselves in, trust in the Lord. We shouldn't be like Felix, where we push God away for some other thing of this world, or say it's not a convenient time, or like Drusilla, where you're so uh, steeped with this world and so wicked that you don't even acknowledge the way or even understand uh, the, the, the knowledge of Christ through those things. And so uh, as we close chapter 24, I want to I wanna close this in prayer for our Bible study part. But I wanted to save 15 minutes so as we could talk about VBS a little bit. And we can individually pray through VBS and really spend an extended time in prayer um, tonight for VBS. So let me pray, and then we'll get to our prayer time for VBS. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly dear Father, we do come before you, Lord, and we just thank you for your promise we have in you, Lord.